the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll with your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband, Brian, is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian discuss current events from a biblical worldview, so we as believers can influence for good in our culture and in the public square. Here is Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Hello, Biblical Citizens. You know, one of the most important things we can do as Biblical Citizens is testify of the gospel. We know this to our friends, our neighbors, and yes, to Mormon missionaries that may come to your door. Perhaps you know a Mormon neighbor or friend and would like to know more about Mormonism so that you can understand where they're coming from. So Kathleen and I are both biblical Christians with Mormon backgrounds. So we're going to dedicate this episode to reaching out in love and truth to our Mormon neighbors and family members. Our guest is Bill McKeever, founder and co-leader of Mormonism Research Ministry in Utah. Welcome, Bill. Hey, good to be with you. Good to be with you. So you and your fellow co-leader uh, in the ministry, Eric Johnson, you're both faithful Christian believers and your former San Diegans. We've actually known you for quite a while. We moved here in 2004, and at that time, I believe you were in El Cajon. Uh-huh. Our, our pastor, Gary Cass, knows you for a long time. And we've also seen you periodically at different ministry events in Utah. So let's start by telling our listeners, how did you end up going from El Cajon area to Utah? And I remember when you did. Yeah, you. Yeah. It, we've known yeah, you a long fact, time. Good to talk to you, uh, Bill. Yeah. And in fact, we were on KPRZ for several years uh, before we made the move up here. In fact, we were on there before they opened the LDS Temple in La Jolla. And so we had a one-hour talk show at the time, still called Viewpoint on Mormonism, which is the name of our show that we have airing here in Utah now, hmm. although, although it's a different format. Our format now is a 14-minute recorded segment that we do five days a week, whereas in San Diego we had a one-hour talk show on Saturdays. Uh, I don't know if you remember Peter Barnes, a former Jehovah's Witness. We used to alternate with him, uh, and he had Viewpoint on Jehovah's Witnesses. So we've got some very good memories of ministry down in that area. I thought you were, I believe I heard that show when you were, again, we just moved here in 04, but I thought you must have been on KPRZ, just given your your ministry and everything. Yeah, yeah, we were, we started uh, Viewpoint on Mormonism here in, in the Utah area, and we're now, I think, on five or six stations in Idaho, Nevada, and, and Utah, uh, but uh, we started that in 2011 up here. 
so uh, we we ended the show down in San Diego, of course, at the time that the temple opened. In fact, when we announced that we were not going to be broadcasting any longer in San Diego, I remember I had a few Latter-day Saints come up to me as I was standing out in front of the uh, San Diego temple saying, oh, we hear you're going off the air. And I kind of kidded with them saying, well, we probably would have gone off the air a long time before, but it took you guys so long to build this thing. We just decided <laughs> to keep it going until you finished it. <laughs> so. Exactly. Well, it's still pretty prominent sitting there uh, alongside the Highway 5. Well, the, the, oh, can't miss it. The point is, you've been doing this such a long time, reaching out to Mormons in truth and love and ministering to them and trying to share the actual biblical gospel and so, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and, and it's so, kind of unusual, Kathleen, because, you know, I'm not of a former Mormon background, and that always seems to throw people off because, like yourselves, you had a vested interest in that religion, and I really didn't. Uh, I grew up with Latter-day Saints, and they were good friends of mine, but they never really tried to convert me at all until I became a Christian. And, of course, that took place in the mid-1970s. It was right after I graduated from high school that I became a Christian. And at that point, I had a lot of uh, people that I was in contact with my work that were Latter-day Saints. And as, as a Christian learning my new faith and talking to some of my Latter-day Saint acquaintances, naturally they were bringing up subjects that were difficult for me to respond to with my very limited knowledge of Christianity at the time, but it intrigued me and caused me to not only dig into what they believe personally and what the LDS Church teaches officially, but it also helped me come up with some some good responses, I think, to many of the questions that they were asking me. And it was an encouragement to me personally, because I found that the more I delved into some of the questions that they were asking me, there were good answers to those questions, uh, good biblical answers that showed that their conclusions did not fit the biblical parameters. And it was very encouraging for me, but it did also cause me to want to get deeper into the Word, so I would have some good responses to the people that I was communicating with at the time. Hmm. Well, God really tapped you on the shoulder to do this early in your life. And so what are some of the things that you do at Mormonism Research Ministry now and and that you have been doing? We, we know you have multiple yeah. radio broadcasts, but elaborate on some other things. Well, of course, uh, we've always had our newsletter called Mormonism Researched. It's a bi-monthly publication. It's a four-page uh newsletter that we either send to people in a PDF form if they would rather have it that way, or we do have a hard copy that we will mail to them if they request it. It's a free newsletter, and uh, that just kind of lets people know sometimes what we're doing, what we're up to, and also some of the more current events in Mormonism, as well as some as the uh, some of the historical and theological aspects of Mormonism. So it's not just a newsletter to tell people what we're doing, it's also to tell them what we're about and why we're covering this topic and how reading this publication can actually help them in their better understanding of the LDS faith. But uh, we also put out, as you probably know, uh, books on the subject. Uh, Eric and I together have published a number of books uh, through different publishers. Eric came out with a book recently called Introducing Christianity to Mormons, which is an excellent oh. resource. Uh, we've I know you did Mormonism 101. 
we did. That was my first book. I, yeah. I actually wrote that on my kitchen table in about a month with a typewriter. It's kind of hard to believe, you know, a lot of whiteout. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that was published uh, by Bethany House originally, and now I think it's published by Kriegel, and it's been expanded. Eric and I went into it, and we we really beefed it up, put some bells and whistles in it, made it very friendly for small group study with questions and things at the end of each chapter. But what that book does is it deals with a lot of the questions that Christians will probably be asked if they are talking to their LDS acquaintance. These questions mm. do tend to come up, and that's why it was so easy for me to write this book, is because I was merely writing on personal experiences that I had had up until that time, talking with Mormons on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Mm. So it was very easy to write. And then later on, Eric and I wrote Mormonism 101, which is an overview of LDS theology, comparing it to what Christians have historically believed on these topics. It's kind of broken down like a systematic theology. I don't want that, that phrase to scare people, but it's, you know, like categorized uh, like with God, man, scripture, the hereafter, and so forth. And it shows what LDS leaders have taught on these various topics and also giving the Christian response to those topics as well. Well, and so a lot of what you do is equip Christians, because a lot yep. of them really don't know much about Mormonism, and so many of them, as we've talked to, think it's just another Christian denomination. But that really is not true. They have different theology, as you've been saying. They have a different view of the Bible, and and they even have a different Jesus. So explain some of the main topics that you have to talk about to Christians to prepare them. Sure. Yeah, yeah. what you bring up is, is very good, because Though the LDS Church has been marketing itself as a Christian organization, it goes much more beyond that, because the the history of the LDS Church is not that it's another denomination that happened to spring up during the Second Great Awakening or anything like that. It, it was the idea of Joseph Smith that he was called by God to restore true Christianity back to the earth. They don't feel that they're just Christians. They think they're the only true Christians, and that we, as professing Christians, are a part of what they call this complete apostasy of the Christian faith. Right. They and believe that's what that I was always taught. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And, and as you know, sometime after the uh, the death and resurrection of Christ, and then when the apostles took over, and then they eventually died off, they felt that the Christian church fell into this state of apostasy. So badly was this that it needed to be not reformed, it needed to be restored. And so Joseph Smith tells people that he was called by God to restore true, true Christian doctrine back to the earth. The, the problem, of course, is, and I've often said this, and I say it very boldly, and I mean it in all sincerity, I think this idea of the LDS Church being a restoration of true Christianity is probably one of the biggest lies that the Church tells. Because in examining the theology of the LDS Church, as sincere as the LDS people are, and they are very sincere, the problem is, is we do not find in Christian history anywhere, anywhere, where the early Christians believed a lot of these unique aspects that are held by modern Latter-day Saints. 
I'll give you a classic example. The Nicene Creed, the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, when they were discussing the heresies of, Ari- of, of um, the Arian heresy, that it was, Jesus was a created being, that there was a time when Jesus was not. What's interesting in this council is they are t- trying to define very clearly what Christians have believed up until that time about Christ and the Godhead. Nowhere, nowhere do we hear in any of the arguments of anybody trying to to defend the position that God is made up of three separate gods in one Godhead. No. Never. You would think no. that if that was really what early Christians taught, somebody would have at least been trying to defend that position. But yet nobody does, because Christians never believed in this concept known as tritheism, that the Father is a God, the Son is a God, and the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit is a God. That was never a belief in the early church. So it no, and because be it doesn't—it's not in the Bible. I mean, they have a different view of the Bible. They have a different view of the yeah. Bible. I was in a discussion a while back with a couple Mormon missionaries and an active Mormon, and I went back to the article of faith that says we believe in the Bible so far as it is translated correctly and. What we were talking about out of that was that what, talk about wiggle room when you say that as one of your key articles of faith about the most important thing we have in the gospel, which is the Holy Bible. We believe in it so far as it is translated correctly. So every time you diverge from the Bible, you can just say, well, that's the part that wasn't translated correctly. And it's been right. really over right. overused like that. And you're right. And and I don't think even a lot of Latter-day Saints understand that many of their own scholars tend to believe that Joseph Smith may have used the wrong word in Article 8. He was probably referring to the fact that they do not believe that the Bible has been transmitted correctly. Because I think everybody wants a correctly translated Bible. Of right. course we do. Right. But even if, but if the word should have been transmitted, in other words, was it copied down through the ages accurately, and they would say it hasn't, now what you can argue is, well, even if you had a tr- correctly translated Bible, it's a correct translation of a bad transmission, so there's still a huge question mark over the authority of the Bible. So you're right, they do have a lot of wiggle room, no matter which word they use, but if they're going to say that our Bible has not been transmitted accurately down through the ages, that can be challenged, and it can be challenged quite readily by the manuscripts that we do have available, and through what's known as textual criticism, we can discern what the originals, which we don't have, but what the originals said, and we can be confident that what we have in our hands today is what God wants us to know. Yeah, I think I I think uh, I want to bring up something that I noticed the other day on your website, but it's related to this point. Uh, uh, Pretty much, the Mormon Church and all the time I was in it, it, instead of being focused on A.D. the last two thousand years since the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's pretty much focused on everything since eighteen twenty, since Joseph Smith, and this is really exemplified. I think you made a note, or I think you had an article on your website in which you made note that Russell Ballard, now he's one of the top leaders of the church. He's not the prophet, but he's the president of the Quorum of Twelve Apostles. He gave a speech very recently in Canada, 
And he said, the most remarkable thing in the history of the world was, now what could he have said? He said, the most remarkable thing in the history of the world was the first vision of Joseph Smith in 1820. So no mention of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, no mention of the Bible, or even of the Book of Mormon, uh, in terms of what's in the Book of Mormon. It's, it's related to this first vision that happened sometime undefined, and we can get they into claim. that or not, in the year 1820. But isn't it kind of telling? I, I just feel like the focus is nothing's legitimate before the 1800s, it seems like, in, as far as Christianity, as far as the history of it. In their minds. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And the first vision, of course, is very important to Latter-day Saints. Even though there's a lot of controversy surrounding the first vision, we don't see anywhere where Joseph Smith ever talked about first vision in the early years, let's say between 1820 when it allegedly took place, and the time of the founding of the Church of Christ, as it was known originally, he never talks about that. Now, he talks about being visited by an angel who told him about gold plates, and we know that he did talk about that because there were a lot of criticisms uh, aimed at Joseph Smith regarding this angel and the gold plates. But interesting, there's no criticism against Joseph Smith in the early years regarding this claim that he was visited by God the Father and Jesus Christ. Now, you would think if Joseph Smith was telling that story, there would be a lot of astute Christians catching on to that and criticizing him for that, showing him how that cannot be. But we don't see that. And the reason why we don't see it is because he was not telling that story. The account that Latter-day Saints are led to believe today is known as the 1838 account. Well, even that 1838 account was kind of slow in getting out to the masses. And, uh, in fact, I think it was so slow. This is why we find a lot of LDS leaders later on talking about this and getting a lot of the facts wrong, because it wasn't something that was being repeated over and over again in LDS circles like it's repeated today, whereas, you know, a lot of Latter-day Saints know everything about the First Vision, or at least they, they're supposed to. And that's because it's empty. Because that was, the, that was the watershed moment where God intervenes again in his church and calls a prophet to restore the things that he wanted his people to believe originally. But so you that's one of the main course. foundations that they believe in, that God appeared to Joseph Smith and everything happened after that. So then he called him as a prophet. And, but you're just naming one example of the, the, the contradictions and the uh, missing pieces in their history. And we don't have time to go into all of that, but people that want to know more about the real history, well, one thing they can do is read my book, The Secret Combinations, the Evidence of Early Morning Mormon Counterfeiting. And I went into the, the primary documents of the 19th century that show that it was a cooked-up story from the very beginning before they even started the Book of Mormon, and then and they and they invented that. But let's um, can you know in the time that we have, just comment, please. Well, we want to talk about uh, the chosen. We'll get to that, and the, your new project with the Utah Lighthouse Ministry. Before we do that, just a couple of minutes, maybe on the uh, the belief that they have, well, we want to talk about it, uh, how, how Christians can reach out to Mormons, too, with the best advice. But 
They believe, as their prophet Lorenzo Snow said in general conference, so it's considered scripture, as man is, God once was, and as God is, man may become. But now it's another one of their slippery doctrines. They're kind of, kind that of they walking deny. away from that. They, they actually deny it. Like we've talked to Mormon missionaries on, on the street and said, you believe that, right? And they absolutely said no. They said, no, we don't. Uh, yes, you do. <laughs> it was all, it was core all the all the Mormon history all the time. We were growing up since the time of Joseph Smith's famous King Follett sermon. But it, is it is that your experience in Utah? Or is the Mormon Church really downplaying that? Well, I think there's two things we have to take into consideration when you talk to your average Mormon missionary, as sincere as they are, and they are, uh, but they are really just young kids, eighteen years old and up. Okay, how many 18-year-old historians and theologians do we have in Christian circles? Probably not very many. Well, not very many. Maybe a lot less yeah. in the LDS Church. So you're dealing with a lot of young kids, though very zealous, are, sad to say, very ignorant. And I'm not saying that as a pejorative. I'm saying that as a state of fact. They just don't know a lot of these things. Uh, and sometimes it's easier for them to shoot from the hip and deny something rather than to be totally honest with you and say, gee, I've never heard that before. Can you give me some evidence to show what you're talking about? Uh, but but you're right. We, we do see this uh, dichotomy here. But officially, officially, when we go to look at church manuals, and I would say one set of manuals would be Teachings of Presidents of the Church. It was a series of manuals that came out uh, a few years back, not that long ago, and it was predominantly quotations from various leaders. Each book was dedicated to the citations of a leader of their past. There were two of these that included the Lorenzo Snow couplet. So this is in a relatively current manual citing the Lorenzo Snow couplet, two different manuals citing it in a positive manner as something that is still believed today, at least by the leadership of the Church. Now, I can't speak to what individual Mormons may believe on any given subject. That's why I always tell people when you're talking to Latter-day Saints, never accuse them of anything. I, I, I agree. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interject, yeah. Bill, because there's a couple other things I want to get to before our time runs out. But I fully agree with you. I don't think those Mormon missionaries were lying to us. In fact, a subsequent conversation I had with other Mormon missionaries resulted in them, after the conversation, yeah. looking up what I said and then saying... Brian was right, but they, but they weren't mm-hmm. lying. They weren't lying. They just right. didn't know. They just didn't v- know. Very right. quickly, I, I bring up this uh, series, The Chosen, because it's it's getting a lot of viewers among evangelical Christians, among LDS, among perhaps even unbelievers. Uh, there are some influential Mormons that have been involved with this production, both in the original set they were using and the funding and so on. What's your opinion? Because we're not, except for hearing from other people, we are not regular watchers of that series. I don't know if you are. Do you have any opinion? Is that a biblically sound uh, series on the life of Jesus? Well, when you say biblical, biblically sound, it certainly takes a theatrical license in adding things, events, and sayings, and things like that among the character playing Jesus and his disciples. So we, we can't expect it, I guess, to be, you know, like the Gospel of Matthew as, well, remember the movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told? One of the right. criticisms of that movie was it was too close to Scripture, and it would never be a hit. Well, 
it was close to Scripture. It wasn't citing it word for word throughout the whole uh, two hours or so, but it did become very popular. This is a little bit different. So you're going to see some things in it that certainly cannot be found in the Scriptures. Now, questions that I often get asked, because I've only seen the first two uh, seasons of it, and but what I saw... Uh, was as I explained it, but I did not really see any overt Mormonism in it. Even though I know Dallas Jenkins is is that's really all. Cozy that's all. With a that's lot all. Of LDS people. That's all. That's so all that, I wanted to ask because I want it, It's really important that we get to what's going on with Mormonism research ministry right now. So our friend and yours, Sandra Tanner, recently retired as head of Utah Lighthouse Ministry. She closed her bookstore, which sold Kathleen's book, among many others. But it was also an important meeting place for questioning Mormons right there on South Temple in Salt Lake City. So tell us a little bit about what your plans are at Mormonism Research Ministry. I think you have a, I think you have a capital project either underway or at least in the planning stages. What's going on with that? Yes, we are, we are currently raising funds. We had a lot of people, after Sandra announced that the bookstore was going to be closing, a lot of people came up to us and asked if we would be wanting to take on something similar to that. Uh, the bookstore was closed, but that's that's okay, because the bookstore really doesn't fit what she had, doesn't really fit what we are hoping to accomplish. We need something that has a little bit more parking. Of course, if you've ever been to her bookstore, you know very well. She had parking for maybe three people at the most, if once you took away the the employee parking. Uh, We need something with more parking. We need something with a classroom setting. We're hoping to have a small museum showing biblical artifacts that tend to show the Bible to be a document that speaks of real people, real places, and real events. We hope to have a a limited amount of books for sale for people who want to dig into this subject a little bit deeper, but not just Mormonism. We're wanting to broaden it to be more of an apologetic resource. So Hmm. if you're dealing with, say, an atheist, how do you respond to an atheist? We're going to have resources on that. Or how about critical race theory or the social justice issues that we're facing today. How do Christians respond to that? Where can people go, Bill, to where can people go to learn more? They go to, is it mrm.org? They can, but it's probably, we have a designated URL for this. It's Utah Christian Bookstore dot com or dot org. Oh boy, I should know this. We'll we'll look it up. Anyway, yeah, uh, if they go to mrm.org, they can find you know, you know how to donate to this and everything. But we are raising funds for this. We are looking to get a building that will house all of this, plus a classroom setting, because we hope to have classes on the subjects as well. And that's such a good place to learn more about how to reach out to Mormons in in truth and love. Go to mrm.org. Thank you so much for being with us today, Bill. Uh, we'll hope to talk to you again soon. To bless your neighbor, go to mrm.org and consider making a donation for this big project that is really going to help Christians and Mormons and unbelievers. Thank you for everything. Till next week. Join us next Saturday at noon for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis, seek to educate and activate Christians at a grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover another major news happening from the view of the Biblical Citizen. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.